0: Welcome to a new episode of the Creative Industry Insight Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby. Today, we welcome VFX editor Casey Curtis, who joins us to talk about his work on The Killer. Casey will walk us through what the role of a VFX editor entails and how those skills were used on The Killer. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. Now let's jump into the conversation with Casey. Hi, Casey. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm glad we managed to squeeze this in before the whole sort of Christmas break break and um, catch you before your uh, holidays. I'm glad that we could squeeze that in. And we're here to talk about The Killer, which has recently been released on Netflix. I was lucky enough to watch it at London Film Festival uh, with a sold out audience. So, I think the hit film hit very, very differently in a packed audience than it would be in my living room.
1: (laughs) I I bet, yeah, unless your living room is uh, packed with an audience as well. Yeah, most of the time that I've seen it, it's just been by myself in my edit room. I've seen it once in a theater and it was quite a different experience as well. So I'm glad you got to experience it that way.
0: Just Just to sort of like pick up on what you said, because you've seen certain scenes so many times and know how the film plays out in terms of beats for beats. How different is it for you what instead of sitting in a in the edit room compared to when you're in a packed audience and then you're just like, Okay, we're gonna wait for this reaction right here for for this moment, uh, for the audience to laugh or audibly gasp or be like in in awe of the scene. Yeah, I I've seen it in some,
1: I've been working on this movie for about two years now, and I've seen it in a lot of different states, from dailies, all the edits with uh, no visual effects, with final visual effects. So some when I watch it, I have memorable quotes from it that I laugh at that the audience never laughs at because the the joke of uh, him saying interesting to the woman trying to sell him wealth management that's a very funny scene to me but it's probably only funny if you've seen it 20 times and the audience instead laughs at jokes that I have never laughed at and I've just seen it in so many different kinds of context that the quotes themselves <laughs> I was totally surprised by the real reactions versus uh, my reactions and then i watch it for the visual effects and i can't really unsee certain visual effects and i extra scrutinize certain shots even on the big screen and an audience probably doesn't even think twice about most of the shots
0: do you feel like uh, I? Do you know what this is? Like the perfect time to drop the quote that I have to live among the normies. That's what you're probably like when you're like, oh, I have to watch it along with the normies, and uh, <laughs> see how uh, how it plays. I just want to uh, just I, I, before we sort of jump into the question that I prepared. Does that drive you a little bit crazy knowing that you've scrutinized over certain shots and then sometimes the audience member doesn't real, re- you know, doesn't take notice, but then. Or are you more like, all oh, right, we we nailed it because the audience doesn't notice, and that the fact that we've our work is so invisible, they don't realize that we've that that a certain scene has um, visual effects, how certain scenes have visual effects uh, inserted into them. Definitely the second one.
1: Uh, I I don't always relate at all to the killer, uh, and certainly not. You know, I'm I'm certainly one of the many as well. Yeah, I think that's a good thing in this case. Most of the visual effects that we do are meant to be invisible. And most visual effects, I would say in general, are meant to be invisible. There certainly are the superhero landing amongst the rubble of the city that you don't, even then, you don't want the visual effects to be on display. You want the story and the character and the setting and and the the color and the cinematography you want nothing to be on full display you want the movie to shine on its own and for a movie like the killer we don't really have any visual effects that are wanting to stand out and the fact that I can go through the movie and say what effect has been done on every shot that pops up is completely beside the point and uh we work really hard to try to make it that way
0: okay because i think um because i was speaking to another vfx supervisor and he was talking about his, the visible work that we do the i should say, it was a visual effects supervisor uh pablo hellman uh who was saying that about the visible work and the work that they do to make sure that it's yeah that people aren't taken out of it and how important it is just for it to flow without you realizing to be like oh my gosh you put you digitally inserted 100 cows in this scene and no one doesn't even realize that must have been really painstakingly uh, difficult as well, <laughs> well <laughs> um, we certainly
1: didn't have that many cows in our film unfortunately yeah that's true <laughs> uh, but i we did work with him on uh on mank they did some elephants some monkeys and some
0: drafts for us uh, that's that's another film that's incredible where, I know we're slightly deviating, but yeah, watching the behind the scenes for that, because I spoke to the production designer uh, Don Burtz and how he created his world and then the visual effects side of it. And it's just, even when you see the behind the scenes videos on YouTube, you think you, you, even though things are fake, I think you can still get blown away by what you see on screen, but then also how people created it and how much detail goes in for you not to notice that it's fake, and it's just like, wow, this is incredible. But then also, I always think about like, imagine if there was someone who watched films a hundred years ago to then see what we can create now. Like, their their minds must be would have been blown back then. Like, I would love to think, no, what their minds must be like now if they saw it and are just like, no, I can't compute this. This is incredible.
1: Yeah, and there's there's so many reasons to have specifically visual effects like the the brute scene so many of the visual effects are done for safety or or some sort of car crashes that they might have done in the 70s that we do all digital now to save the money on shutting down the highway and then crashing how many takes do you want to do do you want to do five takes we need to five cars then that completely destroy and set up the rigging for it and Wires have been lost doing that, and so some safety aspect is important. It is, is definitely part of visual effects, and even on a movie like ours where we don't we don't have any car crashes, we're removing people on wires so that Sala can land on the stunt double without crushing him. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the behind-the-scenes, there's a video of the brute fight behind the scenes where it shows all the stunt choreography. And that kind of stuff is amazing and I don't really think about it and I just see oh, we have two actors, we're going to have to paint out these wires, but to hear their explanation of, oh, we're, we're doing this because it's safer this way or this is a very very dangerous move so we're going to do it like this. It's just fascinating to hear everyone on top of their game and Don Burt working with them to remove parts of the floor and make this part uh padded and how it seamlessly is part of the floor until we reposition it and then it's a visual effect shot and all i know is oh okay we just need to fix the floor here
0: but to hear the whole backstory
1: of how it got there is really fascinating and sometimes lost on us
0: i think as well like audience members you don't if we watch a scene where somebody uh, you know brute seat for, brute scene fight as you're mentioning yeah, there's so much that goes into something like that. Where as an audience, you don't realize how much planning needs to go in, and then the fact that you need to remove this floorboard here, or put these wires here, um, that people will need to take out later on. But then also, we need this padding here because if somebody crashes through that, they can't actually crash through brick walls because you know medical bills, and you're going to get sued for really hurting someone. And then the safety element of it always it, it, it is like it is pretty like mind blowing the amount that people need to prepare for just the day but then also for what you guys have to do afterwards to you know create the final scene of the film just to sort of jump in before we start talking about the film again because you are the first you are the first you are the first VFX editor that i've had on the podcast i'm curious what is a VFX editor and ro- what role do they play in making the film? So uh
1: VFX editor, th- there's, it's a complicated answer. There's usually two kinds of visual effects editors. There's a visual effects editor that is on the vendor side for a VFX vendor. So ILM will have their own VFX editors. Olin will have their own. They usually deal with, many movies mini shows but only for that vendor and they also tend to not be uh, a union role or or that they fall under a different union hopefully and then a movie or a show will have their own sometimes their own vfx uh, editor and so I was the only vfx editor on the editorial side for killer and so I only deal with one movie but I deal with a lot of all the vendors and so not every movie or show will have a vfx editor might be a little controversial amongst them to say this but I think I'd always think of a vfx editor as a specialized assistant editor so a movie that doesn't have a large number of shots visual effects shots planned or doesn't have a large budget the assistant editor will handle the role of a vfx editor so an assistant editor is kind of, uh, well, editorial is the hub of post-production. They are creating, they're the receiving from production, they are receiving communication from Scripty and camera department and sound, and they are editing the movie, but they're also sending out uh, what we call turnovers to the sound, to score, to uh, color, and to visual effects. And they're also receiving these things back except for color correction if depending on what the pipeline looks like is often just the one who delivers so when you send out a version of the movie to sound you're, you're probably not doing that many turnovers and when you are you're doing the whole reel or the whole movie if you're someone like pinterest post crew you are doing a lot of turnovers uh, and they're incremental and small, and they're able to start working on it earlier. But as far as visual effects, it's every shot that is done is a turnover, or if you think of them as a group of shots. That's the turnover that you send as a package to a vendor. And so it entails a lot of tracking, a lot of we sent these 10 shots to this vendor to do this kind of work on we haven't received half of them back or we've received all of them but we had notes on these and to keep track of all of that and to see how far along we are that's i think most of the job that's most of the job of the vfx editor and during production they also do temp vfx which for us is mostly stabilization but for an uh, easy example is green screen, blue screen. It's a lot better to edit with some sort of temp. E you, know, you put the background back there and maybe you'll get direction saying uh, the horizon is a little low on this or actually the angle we'd be looking more at the dome of the Pantheon when it should be in the middle of the window on this angle. That kind of feedback we can then push to the VFX vendor who will actually be doing the final shot, in this case, our temple, and they'll be able to have a better starting point as well as anyone who views the film in its unfinished state, whether it's a director or the editor or a studio, they can see the film closer to its completion even though the temp VFX is just going to be thrown away.
0: You know, like, I guess because when you mentioned stuff like temp VFX, I always think about the temp sound design that people put in and how, like I guess, in VFX, it's slightly different as it's not really... It's like an indicator, but more more than like just an indicator for as a way of you guys to work. But I think with something like The Killer, when, it, when we're watching certain scenes that are played out, it's amazing how much VFX has come into it, but then also where you're talking about how oh, um, the sky might be slightly lower. So I think the a really good, I know we're jumping here a little bit, but I think the the opening scene of where we have Michael Fassbender sitting by the window and looking out onto the Paris streets and even watching that um, and how that was done and how much VFX went into that, which is crazy as well. How does that happen with a uh, temp VFX? Because do you already have the plates in place for the temp VFX and then you sort of just move maneuver it around so that it becomes a completed version? Yeah, that scene, that scene was wild
1: and uh, <laughs> that took a long time. Our temple did all of those. They have a a wonderful reel that they posted and I'm sure there's other reels coming from other vendors soon. I, I, I think they. They, turned, they delivered that reel within a week of the movie coming out. It's really fast. Uh, the first thing we had were the plates from Paris. That was our first shooting location. And they, they put, I believe, six cameras in one window, and they filmed a real courtyard. And they, they filmed it as plates different times of day, but then they also had action. So you see POVs of people walking around down there, the cat running in. That was all choreographed, the first thing that we filmed. Uh, that they found. And we knew pretty quick that David wanted to redesign the architecture of the target building's floor, in the entire floor. And we weren't certain if the whole building was going to be redesigned. And he wasn't quite able to find the right location that he wanted. But he had the general location. He had lots of ideas of you know, I want more of these kinds of buildings this way. I want the, the Pantheon, which is in the plate. I want it more centered, and I want it to look more like this, and more from this kind of angle. So we knew fairly early on that our temple was going to be doing a matte painting for us, and they've done matte paintings for us. I, had, I don't know how long they've worked with Venture, uh, longer than I have, and I've been there eight years. So they do fantastic work for matte paintings. And they really had their work cut out for them because not only did they make a map painting for several times a day in this location, they had a long time to work on these map paintings, but then footage came in of Michael Fassbender on the green screen Sean New Orleans, where he is doing his acting, but then also the target apartment where it was shot on a stage where all of them are doing, their big uh their big scene or three scenes and then uh kirk baxter our editor had the ability to cut back and forth he can cut to a pov of what was going on which sometimes became a scoped pov or he could go on a a wider shot and he just had this uh the stage work small in the frame and we would scale the the background to match our temple would then know oh, okay these are the kinds of shots we're going to be working on later but of course we do a lot of splits so it might be one take of fast bender on over the shoulder with the left side of the windows doing something and the right side of the windows doing something from another take or something from later on in the take So it was a very complex thing. There was speed changes, and I don't believe any rack focuses were added, but uh, certainly tuned. And it was just all very complicated, and notes just kept coming in. And we finally got it to the point where it is now. But for my side of things, I I turned all of this over, and we had to, uh, my VFX producer, who's the post-producer, he was asking how how soon can we turn this over should we turn it over with one second handles with eight frame handles and once they had it more or less locked so that our temple could start working on it it was difficult to turn over and just having to communicate to them use plate d from this time code at this time code because it's this part of the window which is split out right above fastbender's hand and just making sure that what kirk had done in the edit was communicated to visual effects and when i received something back from them that they had uh everything lined up that they had done it properly and that then david is watching it straight from what our temple is posting and there he's able to give notes of uh i want the dome to be a little bit more in this position I, i would like the banister on here to be Uh, perfect I would want a reflection of this I want the vintage glass to distort and you can see in the reel just how many elements go into all of this and then once I had enough of them I would check them all and make sure that all the reflections were all in the same place and make sure that the the plants were all in the same location and just making sure that technically the shot was all as perfect as David would want it to be.
0: When you're working on something like that, where it's so heavily layered, where do you begin with sort of construction, constructing uh, each point? Because it seems like you can have uh, you can have uh, the footage in front of you, but with stuff being manipulated, like the architecture of a building or the way that a plant potter city, for example. Is there ways that you might get tripped up in what you're doing or even get frustrated to the point where I'm not going to work on this part, I'm going to work on this next part of the building so that I can kind of restart with the the building of the area? Each shot in each
1: kind of work is its own challenge. So the fact that these were all the same, what I did is I would just go through in passes and just look at one area and sometimes you can get away with looking at the whole shot and judging it in that regard but usually i like to break it down into sections so oh this part over here had to be roto so literally someone was cutting out one frame at a time hopefully not one frame at a time but often it devolves to that and are there any slip-ups? How's how's the edge of this roto? And maybe do another pass looking at, oh, this was keyed? Okay, how's the key? Are there any, is there any chattering? Uh, any sort of like little flickering bits? And I'm not looking at it creatively. That's what David is doing. Uh, and we don't have a VFX supervisor on this movie, which is uh, remarkable given how many shots we have. That's because David David Fincher, he is the BFX supervisor, in, essentially. And he is on set. We don't have any visual effects people on set because he's there. He's saying, yes, I think we're, we're going to need this. We're going to need that. These plates would be good. Get this kind of LiDAR, or Eric Messerschmitt is getting LiDAR. And he's also reviewing all of these shots. And he is approving or declining or giving lots of notes or eventually giving no notes and approval and just the the technical aspect of it he trusts us to to look at it and so i try to look at it with a microscope and i know no one's going to look at that with a microscope it's a one second shot that plays in the theater for one second and before you know it, you're on to the next shot but I'm looking at these plants and are these plants rattling at the same rate as the windows are rattling or is is this lamp uh, is the color of this lamp staying the same before and after because I know our colorist is going to be as picky about this we're all trying to channel this meticulousness that Pincher has uh, we're all trying to channel that <laughs> so that he can
0: save that energy for his other notes i still think that's crazy that he's on set without a vfx supervisor i know it he is. has a he has a vfx background but it's still to think that like as a director you have so much going on in your mind in terms of uh directing actors or how camera movement is and talking to the various departments to make sure that you can make the day but then having not having that but per- you know not having that extra person then beside you to help you with it is pretty crazy um i can't speak to the big vfx
1: films that he's done like benjamin button i believe they did have someone there for that and certainly has conversations about some of these things but most of the shots that he ends up doing are we'll put a map painting in the background here we'll paint out these imperfections in the wall here or we'll uh we'll add an airplane later and he understands the process really well that to talk to him is crazy how much he knows about cameras how much he knows about lenses and visual effects and he used to work in ilm i think that was his first film job back in the day and he has he is able to call for visual effects and mostly knows what it entails and even modern effects and we've not for this movie but he has called for uh can we try some ai focusing on the shot does how does that work does it what kind of results will that give us and we've played around with some of that and so he's trying to stay current on all that stuff because it impacts how he can shoot it and what he can shoot and for him it works really well and yeah i agree it sounds like a lot to manage a lot to Uh, for one person to do but he loves the control that it gives him and same with the stabilization he is he knows how that works and he knows he needs to get it to a certain point on set and what he can get away with in post-production and he may not know how to uh, attach the keys in after effects but he that's what we're there for
0: is he trusts us to do that but just i'm still trying to wrap my head around it all but then i guess when you're a director and you're so technologically driven and versed, I guess you're always going to push what you can do, what you can't do. And as you mentioned as well, you may not know how to press the keys on the computer screen, computer, sorry, to get what he wants communicated. He knows exactly what he wants and how to sort of get there and achieve it. Or, you know, why don't we try this and see if this works um, at times as well? Exactly. Yeah, uh, His his job is to ask and
1: can we get to do this and then that's done and he sees the results and so now he knows that he can ask for that and I think it, there's a huge VFX illiteracy in Hollywood and that's where the don't worry we'll fix it in post comes from is this magic wand that you wave and it will get fixed. Well, yes. <laughs> it, it appears that way and Sometimes you don't see the blood, sweat, and tears that go into that. and But the most important thing to learn there is, oh, if you had only done it this way, it would have made it half as difficult. If the monitor was not static, but instead was some sort of color that you can sort of agree will the final will be. So like a monitor being on as white, and then you want to put black, background with some text over top, it's going to be very difficult to sell that because the scene and your actors are illuminated by the bright white screen. So being able to commit to those things, that's sort of that's a lesson that I think every director should invest the time in in learning because it will make their films better technically, but also make it a lot easier to make, which will make it uh, just make everyone's lives better it'll make the product better and
0: it'll save you money but it's also a lot to learn and it's a constantly evolving field yes and i guess as well like just how technology changes so quickly especially when it comes to filming uh, and seen with stuff like the volume where you don't even you don't even need to go on location and i'm sure if we have a conversation five years time there'll be something else or um that's come up that's the next big thing or even certain other aspects that have uh, improved uh, technology wise which i guess because we live in such a fast paced environment as well when it comes to new toys that that pe- people are constantly thinking up of how to improve uh, tech and how it can aid us more it feels like a little bit like uh, we might be heading into that sort of wally world uh, the pixar film where we, we won't we won't need to sort of go outside eventually, or or whatever. That's uh,
1: that's somewhat true. But there's also something to be said about doing it practical. Uh, we're just trying to imitate what what the real world is, and film is definitely never the real world, even if you shoot it for real.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess there's always those. What is it like? It, may maybe not giveaways because giveaways are. Uh, listen, you know, that we like tells that it's not like that and that there's certain things there that that you could just tell that you're in a film rather than uh, the real world. Whilst we sort of already talk about the craft of uh, certain scenes, let's go just back to the beginning. How did the project come about and what made you want to take it on? From my research, you worked on Mindhunter and on Mank. Was it a case of just getting a call and being like, look, we're bringing the band back together? Uh, we need you we need you by our side
1: uh sort of yeah uh
0: <laughs> i was
1: uh i was working in the office on Boar and love death robots so one episode of love death robots and two episodes of Boar, doing conform and visual effects and they were bringing the they were bringing the killer online and so i was there for the early meetings where they couldn't uh couldn't even announce the name of the camera where uh, they first said, yeah, we think we want to do HDR workflow end to end. And there were five assistants that worked on the film and two of them began myself and, and Jennifer. We started right at the beginning and the others were working on other projects, still working on the other projects. And so I, I helped get first several dailies labs online so i was there as an assistant editor as opposed to a vfx editor at first because there was no visual effects to do and so that's why i've been working on it for so long and that's kind of been the way that i've been working since mindhunter i've been i was hired on mindhunter as a post pa and that was i knew someone uh, i just moved to la from from Albuquerque and I knew someone who worked on House of Cards why well, I, I knew someone who knew someone who worked on House of Cards so I, I bought him lunch and he said well I, maybe I can ask you to help out with a film I proved that I was able to uh, that I was a good worker that I knew knew what I was doing and he recommended me to Peter Mavramades who's a post producer and he was just starting to look for a post PA this the timing worked out perfectly and I know that's that's like the second to worst answer I can give you, right? The worst is nepotism. And I, I don't know the the name for it, but yeah, a friend of a friend, hire a friend of a friend. But so much of my experience has been that's the preferable way of hiring people is that you have someone who vouches for someone else and you have some sort of inclination that this person knows what they're doing or can learn what they're doing. And uh, I, I feel like that's, that's both film and just the real life, the real life. Uh, that's how people are hired is there's no job posting that I applied for. Uh, it would, might be easier that way for someone who, who's coming into it. but I just worked on on things, met people and and I ended up at Fincher's camp and I worked my way up from a post PA to a, a apprentice, and an assistant. I worked in DI for all of Minehunter. But I was really interested in visual effects, so on Mank I switched over to that, and it was every show has been a very different experience for me, and it's been fantastic. And on this one, rebuilt a database from scratch, and uh, because tracking visual effects is a huge part of this job, and especially on a job like this where multiple vendors are involved on the shot, on uh, a whole bunch of the shots, and it's been very interesting and even moving forward to the some of the remasters that are potentially happening they're all just very different experiences and I'm very
0: happy to have been there for i think it's seven and a
1: half years at this point
0: when it comes to stuff like when people vouch for you and i guess lack of a better term nepotism because sometimes some as you said that like Sometimes it's easier to hire someone if they vouch for them. But then at the same time, it's down to that person who gets hired. You know, somebody's put their foot, you put your foot through the door. It is important for that door not to close on you rather than get your whole whole self in so that you're part of the projects and part of the conversation of when somebody needs someone or if there's another job coming up and then also building up uh, contacts from that. It's a really strange thing where you would think that people with the same job title
1: are competitors, but oftentimes we turn down more jobs than we accept because of timing or because of schedule and the best answer to give, of, sorry, I can't do it, but let me reach out to some people that would be willing, able and qualified to do this, see if they're available. And so reaching out to one person is like reaching out to three. And maybe a contact of a contact is a better recommendation than just someone that has your email address and you've never met before. So as a producer, that's very nice to be able to reach out to five people and to know that 15 people are asked if they're available. And as a VFX editor, talking with other VFX editors, it's nice to know other people. And it's often with bigger films, it's... Uh, multiple visual effects editors working because there's just so many effects and so much work to be done that it takes more than one person so it's nice to have a lot more of those contacts you share some strategies you share some databases sometimes and instead of us competing against each other it's even at the same level we're still collaborating even though i've never worked with some of the people that i've recommended
0: yeah and isn't that crazy as well that you would think that like you are competitors that different mindset. Yeah, I can't give this job to this person because this is gonna happen. But realistically it's more to do with here you go, you know, I can't do it. But you know what? This guy this person, sorry, is just is just as good and they'll be able to help you out and sort you out. And they're um, available now. So good luck with that. But hopefully in the future we can work on another project and then go from there really yeah Um, and a good good recommendation is better than just saying no sorry (laughs) you're hoping anyways uh, that's what i've found with talking with other people yeah exactly and or even somebody says yeah i know a person it's always quite nice to also be part of the conversation because then at least you know that you're doing something right if people are hiring um, are recommending you absolutely yeah back to the film itself there was another VFX breakdown, uh, this time it was from Wiley Co, and they, they did a really brilliant video of how they crafted the getaway slash cleanup scene after the failed assassination attempt. The reaction online is quite astounding to, that people are like, I couldn't believe this was VFX, wow, look how much is involved. I can't believe uh, this is the, the detail that's gone into it. And you, again, as an audience member, you do get blown away by... The invisible work that you see in it but when it comes to something like that where there's so much heavy vfx work not just on uh shots where you have the camera looking at a visor but then it's also looking at the environment around it how does this sort of thing affect your work does it make it harder knowing that you might need to recreate a face rather than a uh, wall for example uh well wiley had and
1: CG shots, or rather maybe I should say that some shots that involved big CG elements, complicated things like the experts shot in the forehead and the neck twist and the nail gun firing in Hodges and the the majority of it was in that chase from from Paris that they showed. But most of the scene was practical. They attached cameras to the the vespa or to the scooter and got the tires and a lot of it was the stunt driver riding around in paris and then they also took plates with this really adorable little electric car that they attached all these cameras onto it's most european camera car i've ever seen uh I, i think there are pictures of it online and that those plates were then used on an LED stage to try to get Michael Fassbender to be photographed with these LED elements. And there's, there's behind-the-scenes pictures of really close-up lenses on his face. And we tried to get it, I wouldn't say practically, but one, state, one step removed from practical with these LED projections. And it wasn't working. And so we had all of that material and... Our VFX uh, supervisor for those CG shots, Eric Barba, he, he shopped it around to different places. I think Wiley is actually the only vendor that we had never worked with before. Uh, all the other vendors, our Temple and Savage, uh, our in-house team, they had at least worked on Mank and I think on Mindhunter and probably way before my time as well. Uh, so Wiley took this challenge. It was a huge amount of work. And there's these close-ups of his face, and David was asking for notes like, oh, I, the bump that you're, you're uh, adding right here, uh, add it three frames earlier and try to get his eyes to dart around more. Or uh, the wind is not properly blowing the flap on his jacket collar. What if it were more like... And then he's giving suggestions there. And little things that grow into uh, big improvements. It's just the the amount of control that they have in CG, just kind of, I think it really goes hand in hand with uh, David's style and what he really likes, the holding the control over, but also trying to make it look realistic. And it's harder to make the CG look more realistic and having this kind of almost practical starting point was hopefully really helpful for them uh, there's a lot of that that is all behind the curtains and all i know is i gave them everything that i could they asked uh, additional questions had to get them answers but most of it was sorry no sorry we don't and then they just tried and they put it in front of david and they got a lot of feedback so i'd be curious to hear their perspective on it and how they how they handled all the notes and how they handled the starting point for all of that. But we didn't, never had to do any temp VFX for that in our editorial. We did some post-vis. Again, temp VFX HD versus the final 6K is, is a little different. You can get away with a lot more in temp VFX than you can in the final. And that's both with David's notes as well as, as any technical checks that we do on it.
0: I think as well another thing that like maybe just doesn't come to mind in my mind is also when you're mentioning about the um how the wind would flap on a jacket when somebody's riding it which is again insane to think that like those are the sort of little details that uh david would be thinking about whilst whilst working on these um these shots but even when you're thinking about the the shooting process of it all how you put the car, the cameras on the little European car and then also to get the plates, but then also having Michael Fassbender in another another studio where they'll be recording him and then having that sort of mishmash together to bring it to the final uh, stage as well. It's like, wow, like you, you really need to sort of be on it and really be thinking a lot about how you can merge the two sets of footages to make it
1: seamless yeah there's all sorts of different uh strategies and on Mank, we did a lot of rear projection led things not quite to the level of like a Mandalorian where they're moving the camera but we had footage that was recorded and then we went in removed the things from the background that weren't error appropriate stabilized where necessary and then had that on set for playback and we actually were recording the LED in the background, so there was no green screen or blue screen except for a couple instances. On this one, we mostly we stayed away from that. We went back to blue screen and green screen, but we kept uh, on Mindhunter. They did this, and on this film, where the driving scenes have LED plates uh, showing the footage that we've color-corrected, stabilized stabilize in certain instances of driving at night to Dolores's house, for instance, or driving while he's eating an egg. So David's able to sit there and, and ask for another take. Please bring him another hard-boiled egg. And they're able to do take after take after take without being on location and having to block the street. Okay, I'll get time to turn around, drive all the way back and do it once more. And so he's able to do a lot more takes in a day with that kind of hybrid vfx setup and he was aiming to do and we always we always touch things up maybe the reflection in the mirror isn't maybe it's proper but it doesn't quite look right okay we'll change that or we actually want the car to go a little sooner or fastbender turned the wheel seems like a little slow okay let's move the the, the footage faster or sooner excuse me so that it looks like his steering wheel lines up with the driving plate so dave is really able to have all that control and i think it really pays off and i i want to emphasize that you know people say he does all these takes he does so many takes and i really love what david said about this is he doesn't want to emphasize that point he wants to say what's the result of all that the result is that he gets a perfect performance, in his in his eyes, a perfect performance, and he's able to choose multiple different perfect performances, and it's the same thing with visual effects, and I'm sure Don said the same thing about the art direction.
0: I think as well the point of when David does so many takes, I think there's a good example of why so many takes has happened is in The Social Network, the opening scene. I could be wrong. This is something that I heard was that he would digitally remove the way somebody would say something and how their mouth moved from one part of the take and then put it into another part that he liked and then sort of build up from there, which it feels like you're creating like the most Frankenstein monster of a scene (laughs) without realising. You're not realising. No, let me change that. Creating Frankenstein scene like without the audience realising
1: yeah if if they don't realize if if the, uh, the the point of the scene is what it conveys to the audience and if that comes across with the frankenstein scene then i mean that's that's what editing is and we i wasn't on the social network so i can't speak as to a mouth replacement but we certainly have done splits which feels like it's in the same vein where you have a, a two shot two people talking to each other and the actors chose a certain amount of time between each delivery. Maybe the editor at that point says, let's have that time. So left actor says something, the pause is now cut in half, the right actor says something, maybe the left actor interrupts them where on set they actually didn't. Or uh, an over the shoulder, the same with the over the shoulder, though it becomes a little more complicated with the edges and all that becomes visual effects. But we do a lot of splits and those are ways of merging different performances changing the timing uh and it's Frankenstein in a way because it wasn't what was actually recorded on set it was a it's a different interpretation of that but that's all all that we do you know you you film something with a green screen in the background and okay we weren't really in Florida we didn't shoot any of this really in Florida but this looks like Florida right so we're always
0: trying to convey that because the message is the important part yes and i think you make a really good point about well that's how the point of editing is creating that frankenstein to then be as a final part of the film yeah that is something that kind of uh, didn't play through my mind so i think that's a very good point as well and how the editing part is like that so then the vfx will follow with that as well if you want to build the perfect scene about what's going what's going on but I think it's a good point. I think they should rename the editorial department to, to the Frankenstein department <laughs>
1: because it really is. Uh, but it's not Frankenbiting, which uh, is a term, editorial term for. I, I think it's mostly reality TV show where they put words in people's mouths. Uh, where they they chop up the audio to try to have the characters say something that they didn't really say. I mean, we put words in people's mouths. It's called R. and off screen. ADR and voiceover, these are all things that we have control over, but the the reasoning that we do that is to convey the the script, even if it's a revised script as opposed to getting these reality TV show actors to convey something that they didn't really say. Yeah, but, I guess sorry, go on. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't think Franken
0: biting is necessarily something that we do
1: <laughs> in post production for films.
0: No, and I think with like reality TV, I'm not really a fan. But you understand why they would do that just to really amp up and juice up the drama of whatever uh, reality TV show they're producing at the moment. Exactly, yeah. which is like it feels like they will never run out of ideas, especially with what they're what they're gonna come up with and the wacky stuff that.
1: Tune in you for CLT. the killer, the reality
0: show. Yeah, no.
1: okay. It, I don't think they're gonna do that. They did it for. It's a good game. I don't think
0: they're doing it for the killer. (laughs) Unless it's like, uh, it's not necessarily like being killed, but like somebody's dropped into somewhere where they have to be sort of stealth and not be blend in everywhere. But then you have all these cameras everywhere. So I don't think you could really be stealth and blend in. So that's an awful idea. Um, But please buy it off me, Netflix. Um... (laughs) They already (laughs) own them, right? so. (laughs) There's what I'm also curious about as well is like because you're working with uh, editors on the film as well, the film editors, how do you guys work uh, with one another, but make sure that your work doesn't overshadow each other? Is there a case that your workflows are very different? Have they already cut the scene and then let you work on it? Or is it the other way around that you're working on it and then for them to cut it accordingly?
1: I think every relation is, is unique there because I think every film is, but again, I still see myself as a assistant editor. So I'm working with Kirk and sometimes we ask him, the effects producer and I, we ask him how far along is the brute scene? When can we start giving that over to Savage? And maybe the answer is okay let me work with david and get okay well we got through the first half and he's he okayed giving that to them okay well that gives me plenty of work on there's a lot of visual effects in the brute where well we, we want to deform the hole in the wall that he punches with his fist we want to add particles all that is stuff that they can start working on and as it comes back in i'm cutting it into the main edit sequence when Kirk is not in there and we're working in Adobe Premiere and it's virtually identical workflow. I mean, technically it's very different. We're dealing with XMLs being able to import things very easily, but I'm able to cut shots in and see what they look like in the sequence. Sometimes I'm posting chunks of the edit for David uh, so that Fincher can comment on it. And sometimes Kirk also wants to know hey, that shot of the clouds is in. Someone thinks, usually uh, maybe Fincher or Peter Mavramatis, they they think that, can you take another look at this? Does it still cut how you think it was before that effect was coming in? Or we now have blood dripping in the brute. The only blood in that whole scene that is practical is the blood that the actors have on them all the blood that's on the ground and especially the dripping blood oh do we need to reach out the sound department Does skywalker need take a look at this oh it's because it's simulated or a, a simulation of blood it's harder to change the timing on the side of visual effects and david has approved this look so the temp blood dripping can we even rearrange those those are the kind of uh, because editorial is kind of the hub of all of these departments we're the best to say I think this connects to this department let's get these two people talking or let's see if these graphics are going to change this thing in color okay can we get an alpha channel all those kinds of communication and cooperations are really important so that something doesn't come up at the last
0: minute and you realize you have to redo something or you have to do something in a rush. I Film is one big collaborative uh, process and it, it, it does take an army to make these, make these uh, things, which, if, but then also there's like the right balance of uh, getting people to, to do their work but then also you need to know when you can start doing your work and what you can be creating on and how you can make sure that you're on top of your workflow and not get behind because i can imagine like every day um that you're behind could probably create uh, a lot of problems later on down the road that like that little snowflake turns into a massive avalanche of like oh crap we could be severely delayed on certain things yeah
1: and at a post-production is always the last step, and when I worked in in DI, that's the last step of the last step, where if a visual effect shot is two days late coming in, then that's more of a rush to try to get it cut in, and does the colorist need to look at it, does David need to look at it in context? Uh, Okay, we're rendering for final delivery, it's too late. And there's a lot of pressure that comes along with that luckily uh david takes a long time on his movies because he has a lot of a lot of elements a lot of things working It he takes he's also fast about it though i think when you said that it takes an army it really does but also david prefers to have fewer people involved in the process uh he prefers like he doesn't Want to bring a VFX supervisor in because he can do that role. And that's one fewer person to, that potentially could get in the way or having to wait on that person to do their job while he is already there and can do it. And so a lot of us uh, at Ventures, we tend to be generalist. And so I've on Mank, I, I did some dailies, dailies uh, ingesting, operating. And I was trained from that to. That's just editing to visual effects to conform. And that's like the whole visual spectrum, the <laughs> spectrum of uh, all the picture things. I don't have nearly the experience with sound, but so I can't speak to that at all. But as far as all the, I'm trained on doing all of that pipeline. So I can train anyone to do that. Or if someone's out sick, I can step in and do that. Or I know that, oh, because form will probably require this it's better if visual effects ask for those alpha channels now and then marry them in the EXR as opposed to having a sidecar file. Those kind of things that's based on the preference of the colorist so it might change but having that specialty versus general specialist I prefer being more general. It's also I think way more interesting. Like You have different challenges every day
0: I think there's also like you become a very, you know, jack of all trades and I guess when you're working in an, you know, w- w- when you're working together and the fact that you could step in to do this or step in to do that, or if somebody is explaining something that you might need to change, you kind of understand where they're coming from because if there's someone of a specific role explaining something, you know where you're coming from because you understand uh, what it, what it entails. And I think with when they talk about David Fincher not having a not having a VFX supervisor and being that himself, it probably also probably helps as well in terms of the dialogue between people that he you kind of cuts out that middle middle person for then he can just go to people directly and say yeah if you do this if you do that if you change this you can change that and that might help with just getting getting things done and also, and also just sort of going to direct, be people directly
1: yeah i definitely agree i think uh because he emphasizes the he's a, a generalist as well that he knows a little of a whole bunch of things and he's very eloquent in his speech and he's very direct and you put something in front of him, and he will give you a note if you will have feedback on it one way or the other and just him knowing a little of everything encourages us to also have that attitude because it really does help sometimes specialists are really good at what they do but they often can't see outside of their own realm so a camera operator doesn't need to know about stabilization but if they do then they might know that it's more important that we don't have motion blur As opposed to them following the framing perfectly because we can fix the framing because it's because now we don't have that motion blur to it but a good camera operator who doesn't have to do stabilization is probably just going to do the best tracking job that they can which may not go
0: upstream as well as someone who knows the whole process Hmm. and i guess also just makes it easier maybe not easier but just the um get a better understanding of what needs to be done and what happens on the day as well with, if, as you said, if something if people know how certain things work as well. Just to um, come up to with um, my penultimate question, uh, what was your favourite scene to work on? I think probably Hodges. I know everyone answers uh, the brute
1: fight, but all the scenes that had heavy visual effects, such as the the intro the the target shooting or the brute those are all scenes that i've looked at a lot but hodges is also has a number of visual effects but they're all a lot more simple a lot more reminiscent of like a a mind hunter i suppose you could even call it a monologue but his angles are changing all the time he has all these stabilizations they're nice long shots for the stabilization and then Olin added the nails once that moment happens. Uh, Wiley did the, the close-up on the shot. And there's a bunch of things in there that no one's ever going to see. Set extensions, stabilizations, split screens. But most of it is straightforward. And I just really love I just really love his performance. Everyone's performance on it, but especially Charles Parnell. Yeah, and I still a... say, I need email time. I need my email time.
0: I think that's a very solid choice. I think that is a. Uh, I think that's a very it's a scene that I don't feel like people mention as much compared to uh, other scenes, and I think maybe that's because of the, maybe it doesn't feel like it's a very like show off moment in terms of the film, you know, like how you have the beginning, you can, you have the killer overlooking, uh, the building or the brutes fight scene or even when you're with Tilda Swinton. And having those sort of moments, this one's more of a, um, I don't know, it feels like a more of a smaller scene, but very chaotic because things have been miscalculated. And it's also just like, oh, uh, what's going to happen here? Or what's happened here because of the, the killer's mistake? Yeah, it's two calculations gone
1: awry. <laughs> Both of them make the mistakes. And yeah, that killer gets a waste cut though, in the end. And also yeah. the whole sequence leading up to it is also very, it was fun to see it evolve and grow and adding the sound effects of the door to really try to help drive that moment in as a temp sound. Uh, I remember how that really helped the scene. And that was David asking for that. And, but then I can't help but think of all the reflections that I, I looked at to make sure that there were no cameras being reflected. And, uh, I just can't.
0: Get that out out of my mind.
1: (laughs) Of all the the process for what I've done the last two years.
0: Do you ever catch yourself looking at like reflections in real life and being like, "No," getting like PTSD from when you're working on it. I certainly remember like
1: big discussions with our in-house VFX, where we're trying to get any sort of reflective surface. Saying, "Okay, so the camera is is filming this rearview mirror." But that's capturing this reflection so would that be forwards or backwards would the text now be legible and we're like I'm trying to hold up mirrors and but that's the level that we're trying to get to is perhaps some people would say oh whatever it's a sign it's in a mirror so it's backwards uh, versus those saying well actually i think it was photographed uh this way so what, what what would the light really be doing or how could we fake this in a more convincing way And I try not to let that seep into real life, but it's really hard to not let that seep into watching other films, but certainly watching as much stabilization as I've seen. I have a hard time turning it off when I'm watching other media.
0: Fair enough. I um, I think as well, when you're working on so many different things, um at the same I guess when you work on so many things, you kind of realize how I don't know, you just I guess you kind of become more you notice things more and you also don't wanna be taken out of the film, but I guess if you also have such a very strong eye on things, it does make it very difficult to enjoy it and sometimes be like, I don't want to be taken out of this because of this or vice versa. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm paid to
1: try and find the mistakes in the visual effect shots or try to dissect how they were made so I can see if all the elements are proper and how it compares to the original and I can't do that very easily by watching a film but it's hard to turn off but it's important
0: to be able to turn it off to enjoy other media yeah exactly I wonder if musicians have the same thing when they listen to other artists music and be like was mm, this correct i'm not sure it's a um, good point i bet they, they they struggle with that as well probably more than likely yeah and then just to hit up with my final question how have you found the reaction to the film um i know we spoke about it where you were watching it in a um, um in a full uh cinema but have people reached out and spoken to you about it and said man like how did they do this what happened here what? How does this work? Well, yeah, I saw it
1: once in a in theaters and it had a very limited theatrical run. But I, I've I've lost all objectivity to it, having seen it so many times. Uh, but I'm glad to see that some people are appreciating it. it. It might be a little more straightforward than Venture's other work, but it still has that high level of detail that we try to we try to uphold and uh, I love to see different, like, I love to read the list of goofs or the uh, FAQs, those those kind of things to see what mistakes other people have caught and what, you know, I feel like it's part of like, oh, we missed this or we missed that. And the, the problems that I might have with some of the shots or some of the scenes, uh, it's, no, no one else has had those problems. So it just shows that when, you, when you're living in the process, you have a definitely a different sense of of, uh, of importance of uh, what, what needs to be fixed. <laughs> and then people are saying, oh, uh, in Florida, they don't sell liquor bottles in the amount that killer buys for the brute. Like, well, we, how can you even consider <laughs> looking that one up? And that's something that I guess the production designer or uh, prop master would have looked up and, or the researcher. On, on Mank, we definitely hired a researcher because we're doing so many historical things. But it's really funny to see someone who lives in Florida and knows those are the rules look at that bottle of old English and say, you can't buy that in Florida. <laughs> so that's very amusing. But uh, it's fun to see that people are enjoying it. And again, it, it certainly is uh, it's not a it's maybe not receiving the same accolades as like a mindhunter but i had the same exact feeling on mindhunter i thought oh no one's gonna like this i don't, I don't know why i've worked on this for a year and a half and then it comes out and people love it you know, i've just seen this way too many times i'm serial killer out. i guess I, I should give it a couple years and revisit it and i might change my mind
0: if you know just to let you know I absolutely love Mine Hunter and it's a shame <laughs> that it hasn't come back um again but it is what it is and uh yeah hopefully one day they'll do some sort of video or something uh where they will talk about how yeah they'll talk about uh you know how they what they would have done with Mine Hunter the next series but yeah there we are but also going go so back- you
1: they, they cut BTK and I think twenty ten, so they they can do a skip forward in time to catch him, or or hire another
0: director. I have no idea. That's all. That's all between the studio and the director. That's actually a really good idea, though. Which I think uh, again, Netflix, you know who to call. But the um, going back to how you're saying about um, the goofs and whatnot, I just think it's just funny uh how people pick up on these things that even though oh you might not buy this thing you might not get this it's just like there's always going to be that one person who will uh go through it all and make sure will pick up on these things and it's just i guess it's quite funny for you guys to read but then also might be like oh uh, <laughs> we, we should have picked up on that yeah
1: uh, there were some things that oh we should have fixed that or and we knew about this but it didn't rise to the level of we need to fix it but then you know everyone always talks about the game of thrones cup or bottle or whatever and the thing is they do so much work on that and i'm sure they catch so many things and one thing slips and it's not a scene that has heavy visual effects and that's what people talk about instead of how incredible the cgi dragons are and how amazing all the crowd replacement work is uh, and that's unfortunate but it's also no it's not really a VFX editor's job it's a QC so quality control and just like all the things we send our movie out to quality control and they look at different they're looking for some of those things i, I don't think they're looking up florida law to see what the size of the container is or in what state this supermarket is part of but they are looking at it for more technical and uh yeah we we were aware that the internet talks and how the internet talks and it's really funny to see like david venture finding an article and saying hey is this true is am i is this really happening <laughs> for something that re- relates to him he's like ah surprise now you know <laughs> or no that's just a rumor so, how many headlines
0: have come out saying My Honor Season 3 is greenlit? None of them are true. <laughs> I can always imagine, like, it's like the Homer Simpson going reversed into the Bushes meme, uh, not meme, GIF, sorry. Yeah. Of like, when is this true? He's like, uh, and then just guys sort of like disappear backwards. But I guess, as I said, there'll always be something and there'll always be things that'll be pointed out about it Well, It's fun for them. So. It's fun uh, for us as well. <laughs> no, it's too yeah. late to work on it. <laughs> it's like, oh, we can't do that. We can't fix it in post-post. So uh, enjoy, guys. <laughs> well, you can a little bit. Just look at the...
1: What was that movie that was criticized for having a lens flare that people thought was a dead
0: pixel in the center? Army of the Dead. Oh, really? I didn't I, I didn't know that story. Um, I'm going to Google that uh, once we're finished here. That's um, an interesting one, because
1: everyone complained about it on Twitter. When it was called that, and it got such kickback that they went ahead and fixed it. So if you watch it now on Netflix, it is not the same uh, final
0: as what was originally criticized. Uh, well, so uh, it does
1: have it does have some impact.
0: All right, I'll uh, I'll make sure I have a look and read th- read through that because I'm just curious um, if that's going to be the case. Uh, well, it is the case. Sorry, I would be curious to know what people's thinking and criticism about it or about how a lens flare could look like a dead pixel. So, oh, there must be some sort of like science or mind thing that goes into it for people to sort of clock that in their head when they're watching. Yeah, it's fascinating. And we were interested
1: because we fixed a lot of dead pixels, especially on Mindhunter. And if we had left them in, would people have caught them? And once you give enough, put enough work into something, something as minor as a single pixel or a clump of pixels you wonder if people are going to notice and then here's a big example of people complaining about dead pixels even though it wasn't it was like some sort of lens
0: right all right i'll have to read up on that um casey thank you so much for your time today the killer is streaming now on netflix go out watch casey's work and others that worked with him and enjoy it Thank you so much. Well, while you're while you're here, we'll
1: listen to some other podcasts from Bobby here. Yeah,
0: I'll take the (laughs) shout out. Yeah, thank you very much. You take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.